Here is part two with Breaking Asian Identity Boundaries with Poetry with Adrian Sue. If you haven't watched the first episode of this two-episode series, make sure you do that. It will make a lot of this episode make more sense. And in general, it is a very fun and interesting episode that I think you would love to hear. But if you have heard that, here's the second part without further ado. Now that we have talked about a bit more surrounding your some of like recent paper and ideas, I would like to move on to the intersectionality of being Asian American and being a creative writer in prose and poetry. So when you grew up, did you ever feel as though you had difficulty knowing what you liked? I know many Asian parents, especially immigrants who are not totally used to the culture shock, often set lofty goals and restrictions for their children, which often prohibits them from enjoying what they like. What is your take on this problem? And what is your experience, if you had any, with this? Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah, that, that is another question that could be the topic of an entire podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that there are a lot of children of immigrants and not just Asian ones who have to put sort of those practical things first. And depending on the culture of their own family may be kind of made to excel in things they don't enjoy. And as you said, they don't then know what they like. It's hard for me to talk a lot about it because that wasn't my experience. I'm just fortunate that my parents were never the type to pressure me. They didn't even pressure me to get great grades. They just kind of said, well, just, you know, get A's and B's more or less, and that's fine. <laughs> I think they just thought that so many worse things could happen in life uh, than, um, you know, not being in the top 10% of your class or whatever, uh, that they didn't worry about it. And that really did free me to uh, you know, know what I liked and to pursue what I liked. But on the other hand, I did put pressure on myself, and I, I did kind of make myself take um, those advanced math and science classes, um, that I was talking about earlier, but I wasn't good at them. I mean, I was okay at them ish, but definitely not my strength. And, um, it was a context in which it was pretty rare that an Asian student showed up in one of those classes and was as mediocre in it as I was. (laughs) So, um, so I think I probably was surrounded by, um, families who prioritized that, or maybe those kids just were naturally better at, you know, it's one of those things where you just don't know because there were just so Mm -hmm. few of us. Yeah. Um, But I was just fortunate. My parents did not mind kind of what I decided to become. I I think they did worry that it was going to be hard and it certainly hasn't been easy, Uh, but I knew what I wanted to do very early and always felt free to pursue it. Um, I think it's never, what's what's been hard, and it's not to do with, really with being Asian, but maybe it is. Um, sorry, I'm formulating this as I speak. Uh, what are you supposed to do to become a creative writer? Mm, That's yeah. not clear for most people. Um, and one thing that I think feels automatic for some people is to be an English major in college and read the 
the books that are, you know, kind of canonical, but I didn't do that because when I got to college, I was so excited that there were subjects to do with non-Western mm. parts of the world that I just started taking all those classes really to fill gaps. Yeah. Uh, but then there wasn't time to take all those classes and all the English classes. Uh, so in a way, I both did the right thing and did the wrong thing. I think I needed those English classes, but I didn't take them because for the first time in my life, I could take Chinese history or um, Chinese or Japanese. Um, I took them both. And uh, there were some really fantastic East Asian studies courses. None of this had been available before. And I also just really enjoyed like who was taking those classes. These were people who had that same curiosity for various reasons. Uh, so maybe being Asian American, but growing up without that Asianness, which is kind of what happens a lot, I think, in a suburb like the one you described for yourself too, where you're not in a context where um, like half the class is celebrating Lunar New Year. Mm. So, you know, it exists, but you don't really feel it. And um, you end up maybe not having as much room later to do all those other things you need to do to become a writer. Yeah. So that's a rambling <laughs> answer, but you warned me. Yeah, that's that's perfectly fine. Um, I'd like to, you know, insert a bit of my experience, too. So mm -hmm. I... Um, was always going to go to a public school and because we kind of live in a suburb there aren't really that many asian american families however when i went to a boarding school for high school i found out that there were way more asian americans and also international students from asia to come to this school and when we you know did the holidays uh, asian holidays or just talked about Asian in general, there's just way more people and ideas to talk to or about that I could never have done if I stayed in a public school, which I think is one of the benefits of going from a public school to a boarding international school. But I think it's kind of restricted to the only those who are able to have access to those resources. So, but that can be totally for a different thing. I'd be going down a rabbit hole if I were talking about that. But I just wanted to uh, add my own experience. Yeah, well, I'm really glad you have that opportunity and, and got to sort of see those two contexts and also enjoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So the next question is something that we have touched upon, but I would like to ask you again. How has poetry and prose shaped who you are and what you perceive and interpret your Asian American identity as? Well, I will say it's different for poetry and prose. When I write prose, it's usually to build an argument of some kind. I, I don't really write fiction. Um, I tend to turn to prose when something I was trying to express in a poem didn't work because it was a little too systematic. So poetry is a place where I go when things are amorphous I have a gut feeling that something needs to be sorted out, but I don't know how to sort it out. 
And in prose, I feel like I can make statements, try to back them up with evidence, figure out whether that works, consider counter arguments. It's very much the way, you know, any kind of opinion piece is constructed. Um, and it's still a process of discovery, but it's a, a kind of organized one. It's a little bit more logical. And I think the poem is for those things that just resist any form of sort of clear construction. And, and you have to take that lump in the throat that Robert Frost said, you know, every poem begins with and play with the material until something forms. Um, so poetry has actually, I think, made me much better able to deal with the naughtier forms of uncertainty mm -hmm. uh, than any other genre available to me. Maybe if I were good at writing fiction, fiction would be one of those, it's just not my strength. Uh, and, and so the person I've become might be a person who uh, can maybe live with a little more contradiction because I know I have this tool with which to wrestle with it. Uh, so like there were some, some of my poems, you know, were a long time informing because something was bothering me for a long time. And I knew that one day I might be able to sort it out, but probably not in any logical way. So maybe those things have just made me a little more optimistic mm -hmm. as a person because there, there is a way. Uh, for many things yeah for me i actually have not written any poetry i've written prose though about my identity but not poetry um but when i read poetry related to an a person's identity or specifically an asian american identity i find it very interesting because i'm able to see a different view of a topic that I know much about in a different person. And especially since in, you know, this poetry out loud type of format, you can go see uh, East Asian and I forgot the rest of the title is super long, but East Asian dot, dot, dot um, identity or uh, appreciation month. I forgot, but there was just lists of a lot of things relating to Asian American identity. And each one is so very unique, but all, you know, comes together to sum up under this one topic of uh, Asian American identity, which I find very cool. Great. I'm, I'm glad Poetry Out Loud does that. Mm, yeah, me too. So the next question is, being Asian American and in general a minority is very hard to deal with as there are many hurdles for us to overcome. I would like for you to be as honest as possible. How difficult was your journey as a creative writer in poetry and prose? Why and how and what made it difficult? And this can be totally up for interpretation. If you had no difficulties, that's perfectly fine. It has, it, it was difficult, but I don't know how much of that was related to race. Mm -hmm. Because I think becoming a poet is just difficult. Uh, there just aren't that many fellowships, uh, you know, just, there's no clear, like if, and it's hard to become a doctor, but you kind of know what you need to do. And you're probably going to get a job, like once you got that training. And I think in poetry, it's really unclear what you need to do in part because there's a kind of romantic myth of, you know, the kind of rogue artist who just kind of strikes out, um, 
independently and you know is this genius who either gets acknowledged or doesn't and, and of course the reality is far less exciting than that it's more just that uh, you know you you work hard you try you send out your poems uh, it takes a long time to get a response usually when you sent them out I think journals used to look down on or forbid simultaneous submissions. So you'd send your poems to one journal and you'd have to wait for it to respond before you could send them to another. And that's still true with some journals, but a lot more of them now don't mind if you send to several at once. And then as soon as somebody takes them, you just tell the others, oh, this is no longer available. Mm-hmm. Um, but it could take years to publish a single poem because a journal might take six months or a year to say no. And then you send it out to the next place. Um, and then when they do say yes, it usually doesn't pay anything. You just kind of get that publication. Um, but you build that and it accumulates. And then you establish relationships with some journals uh, where they recognize that they liked your work before and they might respond a little faster the next time. Um, and one reason they're slow is that most of their editors aren't being paid. So they're all doing it when they can. It's not that anybody is trying to take advantage. Uh, It's just that it's a a genre that doesn't sell, um, except in very small numbers. But those numbers do represent the right people. And I think that's the thing that makes it so rewarding. So it's hard in terms of kind of being able to, for instance, tell your family what you're doing, right? Like in this first... Uh, years of your career, it, it seems like you're doing nothing because you're you're sending out stuff and it occasionally gets published in a place that no one in your um, out non-literary community has ever heard of. So um, I really have no idea how how racialized any of that was. Um, I, I had a, a good graduate school experience. Um, I didn't feel... Um, you know, marginalized by race. It was also a small program and uh, you know, there were, there was always at least one other Asian American <laughs> and it was, but also it was just so small that you couldn't really feel like there was a um, kind of big club that you weren't a part of and, or a small club that you weren't a part of. It was just little altogether. There were like six, many people five or six poets admitted a year so um can't form a lot of clicks i think um, so i don't know this may be disappointing i guess i really do not know how to parse you know what um whether there were any racial ramifications um there's always that suspicion you know and i think um like that maybe a place who gave the prize to someone Asian last year isn't going to give it to an Asian person this year. But I think a lot of that's gone too. I mean, you see a lot of places that just, um, they don't mind if it's like an Asian person followed by two more Asian people. It it feels like there's just been a lot of progress. I feel hopeful. And, And I hope that your generation does too. I think that's good. Because um, now that you said that there, you don't know if there was, you know, any race involved, 
and that you have seen more Asian Americans involved and there's like less of this racial uh, stamping, as I like to call it. I think it's um, good for the audience and the listeners and just people in general to know that they shouldn't restrict themselves for pursuing something they like, such as poetry or writing, solely because they think they're going to be marginalized by their race. Mm -hmm. And through your case, an example, you talked about how you didn't feel any of, you know, being marginalized by your race. And I think it proves that you are one of the people who made it pretty big with some really good poetry that I very enjoy uh, without facing too many, you know, like hurdles or boundaries. Well, thanks. I mean, I'm sure, you know, that there have been moments where, you know, there were editors who just maybe were like, oh, I just had an Asian writer last time, but you don't know, right? And there is so much rejection in creative mm-hmm. writing that I think my baseline is just expect to be rejected. And I think that helps. Right? <laughs> then when you're accepted, you get to go, yay. But when you're rejected, just like, well, that's just part of the job. Now, that was the end of our talk and interview. And I had such a great time knowing more about how poetry intertwines with Asian identity. And in general, just getting to know a famous poet better. Now, the next part of this episode, which is pretty short, will mainly focus on one of the poems I was going to perform for Poetry Out Loud. And I found this poem very interesting as it relates to American identity in relation to chopsticks. Now, before you listen to this chat, I recommend you look at the poem, review it, maybe skim through so you understand what we're talking about. But this is just a side topic and more so of a tiny bonus episode in this huge episode. So if you would like to hear us talk about a poem, here you go. After the dinner party. Uh-huh. So I w- I've been rereading that over and over again and annotating. But I- I'd like to see how you went about writing this one. And like what you thought during the writing process for each, for like how you made the poem. I'm just interested in how you made it. Yeah, well, I, I'm probably it began. I don't remember exactly, but usually when I write a, a formal poem like that, it starts off rambling and long, and I look for signs that a form might work for it. So probably what happened was that I just had this little episode where, you know, I had friends over for dinner. And afterwards, I saw that some of them had thrown the chopsticks into the trash can. And I thought, that's weird. <laughs> like, what happened? And, and then I kind of realized, oh, some of my friends do not cook Chinese food at home. Whenever they get Chinese food, it's takeout. The chopsticks always are disposable. So it was just a mistake because they don't perceive chopsticks as part of their normal, um, like, set of coloring but also my daily chopsticks look really shoddy so they also just looked cheap and ready to be put in the trash so we were talking about the mundane right it was just one of those things where you have to be on the alert as Mm. a poet to like see well this could be just a thing where well i just took them out of the trash and washed them and that was the end of it But I thought, oh, this is so interesting because, um, you know, I have great friends who don't 
maybe share certain aspects of experience that I have, but I connect to them in so many other ways and then I'll forget that there's some areas in which we're very different. And then that's a reminder. And I think, oh, well, that's something to explore. Mm-hmm. But probably I just did a free write on that and it was all over the place. And then I thought, okay, is there anything in here that's useful? Probably cut away a lot, pulled out a few lines that were promising and then tried to figure out sort of what to do with that. And I'm always looking for off rhymes too. So I think the idea that compostable and disposable mm-hmm, yeah, um, and also they're kind of opposites as far as meaning goes. Uh, I teach at a college that's all about sustainability. So everything's usually compostable or reusable. Um, so those words were already in my head mm-hmm. a lot. Um, and then the last line you say, um, this is based off memory. It was compostable chopsticks are the answer. Disposable and everyday. I think mm-hmm. that might be the way you phrase everyday it. And disposable probably because like, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So what did that line uh, mean? Or I felt like you can interpret that in, in some ways or I interpret it in different ways. So I'd like to know what, what you were thinking when you wrote that line. Okay. I also want to hear what you thought. Um, so, um, <laughs> I was thinking that you offered a solution, but in a like comedic relief kind of way where you would, you have all of this like um, pretty, I wouldn't say intense, but pretty serious stuff in the top, or I wouldn't say there's like kind of stuff that the t- poem's about and it's kind of has like some serious tones at some points. Yeah, and then yeah. at the end you end with, ah, like, this could be the answer (laughs) right was that what you were going for that was exactly what I was going for yeah that I was of course once and once you start writing a villanelle you're also trying to figure out how to reuse those lines in a way that makes sense so in a way the form gave me that opening to an ending but yeah it was supposed to be kind of like a, a a comic solution and there probably are compostable chopsticks, but I didn't go out and buy any. You know, this is one of yeah. those things where I was thinking, um, oh, I wouldn't mind if my friends threw out my chopsticks if they were compostable, right? Yeah. I mean, they would probably be in the regular trash instead of the, the compost. Mm-hmm. But um, it, it also kind of gave a twist on disposable, right? That to put something in the compost is a form of disposing of it, but it doesn't have all those implications of waste and environmental damage. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. And I think it also, I, I don't, I don't know if everybody does this, but I certainly do this where like, I will be looking for that life changing kitchen gadget. You know, the, the one that's going to make cooking or cleaning up really fast. So I'll have more time to do things that are more interesting. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's part of our consumer culture too, of that, like, just buy this product and it'll transform your life. Um, so maybe that was part of what I was hoping came across as the comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it. Glad you read it that way. <laughs> yeah, I was I was a bit worried because uh-huh. I, I I don't know. Um, I'm kind of new to poetry, so I I didn't know if I was misinterpreting the whole entire poem. So well, I mean, it's okay if 
if your view was different from mine too. I think that's part of the, um, what makes poetry interesting. 